Florida right now is 35% native and 65% non-native. Those are census figures. So I have to do a little bit of civics for everybody because here's my other raise your hand part. Who had a civics class in high school? Did your civics class include municipal government? It's less than 20 hands. You would get explained federal, maybe a touch of state. And if you're really, really in a great class, you get that local level. Most of us stop at federal and state. This was Lynn Tipton from the Florida League of Cities, who is fabulous. <laughs> She's really, really sharp. Love her. Uh, she, this was at the uh, Incorporate Perdido, the We Are Perdido meeting that took place at Liberty Church over there off Blue Angel on, uh, what was this, Monday night. And I finally got to listen to all of the meeting yesterday. And it's a great premise. First of all, just aside from the issue of uh, teaching people what it means to incorporate a region that had not been incorporated before, the basic premise of that alone is worth the price of attendance, right? Like we all in high school and hopefully a little bit in junior high and maybe at some other times as well, we learn about the uh, federal government, right? And you probably learned a little bit about state government. Maybe you learned more than I did, but uh, I'm trying to remember like when I was in, you know, those grades, I, I certainly never read the Illinois Constitution. Uh, we might have learned, yeah, I don't think we learned anything, <laughs> honestly. I think, and this is, I'm, you know, I was a political science double major in high, in college and a philosopher. Um, so I'm, I'm just trying to think back what we actually learned. And I think the answer is very little. Like we learned about the federal government, right? Which is, you know, every American needs to learn about the federal government. But what level of government affects your daily life the most? Is the county commission, right? Yep. It's it's the city council. Yep. And back of them, it's the state legislature. And then at a big distance, they seem closer because of, you know, national TV, but at a big distance from you is what the federal government does. They barely affect your life at all, for the most part, right? And yet that's the one that everybody understands. And rightly so, you need to. But she's exactly right. Most people never get taught, you know, what a city council is <laughs> and how it works and what authority it is, which is what you should know, is what citizens should know. Hey, you know, if you've got a problem with an ordinance or a zoning issue or whatever, you know, who do you talk to? That stuff everybody as an adult really would need as opposed to what they're generally taught, which is, don't get me wrong, I love the Constitution. I want people to know that, you know, it takes this size of a supermajority to override a presidential veto. But, you know, how many times in your life is that going to make a difference? Zero. The answer is zero. How many times will it be important for you to know uh, who's got the authority over the dog catcher? That may happen multiple times, depending on how many pets you own. I'm just saying. So she's exactly right. And she wasn't saying it like judgmental. You know, that's my lean. Um, She was saying, like, the point of this is I need to explain to you how local government works and how the political subdivisions within Florida work before we can even start talking about this issue of incorporating a zone into a city, town, or village. So Florida's constitution provides for four types of local government. And all of us are always in a county, which is the substate. The Florida Constitution says the county must be the substate and that every inch of Florida has to be in a county and that never goes away. You're also always in a school district. There's one for every county, it never goes away. You'll always be in a school district. Also, all of us are in at least one special district, which is a water management district. That's the mysterious one that we vote for every once in a while that nobody understands at all. Um, (laughs) Seriously. But yeah, we're all in a county. We're all in a school district. They're the same thing. They're the same shape. 
and size, uh, but they're completely different political entities. And then, of course, you have the optional levels of local municipal government. Now, Candy, we're going to play pop quiz. You ready? Oh, yeah, come on. It's only 5.15. It's pop quiz time. Oh, but we've had all this Step fine. up. Man up. Come uh, on. I'm oh, here. Well, whatever. Anyway, um, what, what? I identify. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> woman up. I'm. See? Natural woman up. Yeah, that's right. Way to go, Aretha. You make me. So, yes. um, what percentage of people in the state of Florida live in an incorporated city, town, or village as opposed to living in unincorporated county areas. What's the percentage of city residents out of the 20, what is it, 3, 2 million right now we've got, something like that? 65. Are in cities? I guess. That's, that's, actually, that's, a, that's not a bad guess. Then you get to an optional level. Mandatory, mandatory, Thank you. mandatory. The municipal level is optional. And in Florida, this is not quite 51%. 49.7% live in the unincorporated part of the state. And it may have a place name and a zip code, but there's no municipal government there. So it's oh, almost wow, okay. exactly 50-50. That's Al- almost exactly okay. 50-50, incorporated versus unincorporated, okay? And then, you know, it's also useful to know the history of who controls what and under what authority and who's like the default political authority. I have on the slide the notion of home rule. Home rule sounds like you make your rules at home, and it's an interesting shorthand. If I were to describe it to you in a way that rhymes, I would say it's local voices making local choices. Prior to home rule, Florida was a Dillon's rule state, which our neighbor to the north, South Carolina, is Dillon's rule. Okay, look, look, I'll, just, I'll just go ahead and confess it. I have a double major degree in political science. Uh-huh. I, and and I, you know, I'm 51 years old, and I've been working in the news and talk realm for like 20 years, 25 mm-hmm. years. I've never in my life heard of this thing, Dylan's Rule. I've never had either. Never heard of it. <laughs> and I was a Panthers fan for a while. <laughs> so here we go. Their local governments wait three to five years for permission from the state to undertake a program or a project. Good Lord. And that's what Florida was until 1968. Home rule was put into the Constitution at that time and then codified by the state legislature in 1973. With that, it takes Dillon's rule and it flips it. And it says any county or municipality may enact the laws that it wishes, provided that that law does not conflict with state or federal law. So home rule is available only to a county or a municipality, not a school district and not a special district. Which is worth knowing because, you know, the school districts don't get to set the curriculum, right? They, I mean, they, that's the idea is that the State Department of Education sets the guidelines, rules, laws, whatever you want to call it, over which, you know, within which the school district operates. Uh, but the county and the city or the town can make any law they want to as long as that law does not violate U.S. Constitution, federal law, state constitution, or state law. And typically the most relevant portion of state law for this is things that have been preempted to the state so that we don't have the authority. But we do have home rule authority. That's the, the principle. And I love that, you know, as opposed to Dillon's rule, where you basically have to ask the state for permission to do anything. That local vote is simple majority. 50% plus one. This is to form an incorporated city, town, or village. If it passes, you have a new municipality and you get to pick the name city, town, or village, because under Florida's constitution, they're equal. There is no population threshold. Our smallest population currently is 12 people. No zeros. 12. 
And the largest Jacksonville, just in case you're ever on Jeopardy, is about 980,000 people. Now, I thought that was interesting because the town, city, or village is like Boulevard, Street, Road. It doesn't mean anything. Right. You might think it means something, but it doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't carry any particular weight. And, um, you know, just I I thought, again, some of this was just fascinating to me. Some of it was great history. Some of it was good just, you know, understanding how this process works. And like I said, I learned a ton from her. She was fascinating. Trying to incorporate over 100,000 people, that's extremely rare. Okay. The median Florida city right now, population-wise, is almost 6,500, 6,485. Florida's not a state with really, really large cities. We don't have an Atlanta or a Los Angeles. It takes two Miamis to equal a Jacksonville, and even Jacksonville isn't a million people. We weren't a state created to really have huge, big cities because they're not around major industrial or commercial issues. If you think about us as sleepy fishing villages, tourist resorts and communities, military bases, agriculture, that's really how Florida started to grow, even before the first of the real other tourists came, right? And I, th- I thought that was interesting, too, that, it, you know, because I tend to think of, like, Miami, you know, right? And she said, no, basically the way it's structured, does it's, it's not like that. It's more of a collage of different places. And, you know, Jacksonville is large because Jacksonville consolidated, right? The county city's consolidated. So that's, you know, 954,000 uh, people. So I thought that, that was kind of interesting. And... One of the first questions most communities ask is, what would the boundaries be? You cannot take part of another municipality. You must be contained within one county. Given that you, this area, is the westernmost bounty, you really can't reach any further to the west, but you also cannot go beyond the boundaries to the east. So you can't be in Santa Rosa County, which is not relevant for Perdido. They can't go into Alabama, obviously, and they can't steal bits and pieces from Pensacola. So if you do get an incorporated Perdido, and if it starts to grow after it's established and move east, and if the city of Pensacola starts to move west, at some point, if they keep growing, I'm not saying this will happen, I'm just saying, you know, theoretically, at some point, they will reach each other's boundaries and they won't be able to take any more, is kind of the idea there. So um, basically, she says, look, there's a, and the process is long, okay, to incorporate, and it starts with doing a feasibility study. And then as you put that feasibility study together, then you submit that to the legislature and the legislature has to rule to approve you to take a vote. And then the governor approves that. And then you take a vote. And after you take a vote, then you go, that's to incorporate 50% plus one. And then after that, you go through this long process of, you know, studying, forming a charter and ratifying the charter and then you have elections so uh, there's a lot of from here to there and one of the things that she said it's uh, i was actually kind of an interesting point she said if you're going to do this you need to hire a professional to do your feasibility study because if the feasibility study is poorly done or has errors then the legislature is going to look at that and be like nah y'all aren't ready <laughs> you know like if you submit your your college paper in pencil on blue line paper with the ripped out spiral notebook shred still left on it your professor's gonna be like mm, i don't think so <laughs> so but it's what's in it that matters that's yeah. not they true they do not yeah, care no it is. that's that's not it so anyway lots of other stuff from this meeting we'll cover it throughout the morning because i thought it, it was fascinating studio 850 has the whole thing uh, on facebook if you want to watch it for yourself and if you live in the area um of perdido or the west side basically west of blue angel is kind of the um General, I mean, there's some other limits on it, but that's generally the area. Um, so, again, it's fascinating. And this is the very beginning. 
There are going to be meetings. There are going to be discussions. There's going to be a lot of from here to there. But they're kind of ramping up at this point and looking to see if they can actually get the feasibility study. And then that's really step like this is step zero, and that'll be step one. 523 here on News Radio 923. I'm Andrew McKay. Son, all I've ever asked of my Marines is for them to obey my orders as they would the word of God. Contradiction. 525 here on News Radio 923, informative, local, dependable. No, man, that's a comment about the duality of man. Uh, <laughs> no, sir, <laughs> that's a comment about the duality of man. We've got uh, David Wayne's in the newsroom with our headlines. David? Yeah, classic story. The allegation is that this monster in the marketplace zone that they occupy does the two basic things that monopolies do. They tried to prevent their competition from developing, and when their competition broke through the barriers of development, they bought them. You know, buy the competition and thwart the competition, which is the behavior of monopolies. And now, I, Google is not a monopoly by you know like percentage definition. Um, cur- that, now, even though digital ads are about eighty percent of Google's revenue, when you look at their share in the marketplace, it doesn't sound. That outrageous, 29% of the U.S. digital advertising market, almost a third. I mean, almost a third for anybody in the tech era is unbelievable. But still, uh, when you think of like Meta has 20% of the market and Amazon is at 11%. So it's not by share. They're not running 70%. They're not Ticketmaster. Um, <laughs> but it is a, uh, you know, it's it's not just market share. It's behavior. And does the behavior inappropriately or illegally influence their market share. David, thanks so much for the update. Uh, 527 here on News Radio 92.3. Oh, 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 pick me. Pick me. Pick me. I got one. You ready? Andrew, yes. The sign's on. The selfish no, sign is on. No, Yes. The, the beach now, sign? I can't. Eyes on it this morning can't tell you that it's on, but it's supposed to be on, and it was turned on yesterday. I went and stopped by uh, to see, because I knew that it was kind of supposed to be fired up for the first mm-hmm. time yesterday, and I went and stopped by and talked to the owner. I got an interview coming up for, uh, for that later. Um, but, yeah, they didn't have it on when I was there, but because they the guys... Uh, who all listen to the show, by the way, is hilarious. They're like, oh, Andrew. I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, guys. And uh, they they, uh, they did the Fish House <laughs> sign back in 2016. Yes. And uh, the company. That was beautiful. It yeah, is beautiful, yeah. It really is. And the company, by the way, was actually sold to the guy who currently owns it. And he had grown up here, and then he moved away to Texas. He went in the Navy, uh, did some, was a submariner. And, um, and he finally, basically, he came back here. He bought the company. And uh, they bid on the contract that the out-of-town company that screwed it all up and they didn't get it because mm-hmm. they weren't the lowest bidder. Should have been, wish they had been. We could have <laughs> right, avoided a right. lot of problems anyway. But then they got this contract to rebuild it, and they could do it based on the designs that they had from the the other one that they had already done the first time. And uh, they put it in. Like I said, it wasn't there. They had some light bulb issues. Like they had the Pensacola light bulbs were in, but the beach light bulbs were not in. And <laughs> they had so gotten funny. those delivered late because of supply chain kind of stuff. Right. So they were literally putting those in while I was standing there talking to them. Oh, and, wow. And, and, and um, I'm like, well, do you, you know, can I run this interview? Because I interviewed him. And he's like, can you just wait until we get it on? Because I'd hate to have the thing be like, yeah, man, it's going to be awesome. And then if we run into some glitch or problem, sure. of course, absolutely. So he texted me later in the day. He's like, it's on. 
here's a video. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. that's great. I want to, if one goes out, they all go out like Christmas mm-hmm. lights. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, it's <laughs> like, not like son that. of a gun. So here's the thing. I still haven't put my own physical eyes on the functioning sailfish sign, but I've seen the videos up on our Facebook page. It's gorgeous. And it's the first time I have ever seen this sign while I've lived here work the way it's supposed to work because it was already semi-functional when I moved here in 2014 and it works 100% like you know if you watch it that you know the the arrow works great the sailfish of course is lit up but the main key is how the functionality of the the centerpiece works and it's that yellow starburst that grows all the way to include the whole sign and then as you're watching it it hits the outside and then all the Pensacola and the beach and the edge are all sparkly and then the yellow turns off, and all you've got is the Pensacola Beach and the perimeter on the sparkles. It's perfect. That's <laughs> it's great. fantastic. Oh, I know. Man. I didn't, you know, I've, we've been waiting for this for years. I know. I was going to see if Colin Manor would lend us his. All right. The fish place. <laughs> right. Go here for <laughs> motels. Somebody yeah. made that joke on our Facebook page. Like, uh, I'm not sure there's a lot of motels left on the beach, but, you know, whatever. It does look anyway, like that. That's cute. it is a funny thing for it to promote. But I'm like, I was so overjoyed, right. like relieved, like. I didn't realize it would be so satisfying, and it really is satisfying. So, uh, you know, great work to the um, uh, the guys who did this and fixed this up at uh, pa- Plastic Art Signs. Well done, gentlemen. David, what do you have coming up, sir? Threatened with deportation back to Afghanistan for entering the U.S. illegally, which would have meant almost certain death at the hands of the Taliban. Several lawmakers from both parties had petitioned for his release. President Biden says he will not negotiate with House Republicans on increasing the country's debt limit, saying it has to be done without conditions. Some Democrats want the debt ceiling eliminated. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says no. I don't think anybody in America would live this way. That they would reach their limit on a credit card and they just extend the limit and not look about where they're spending. No state can do this. No family can do this. No city, no county can do this. Republicans want federal spending cuts to approve a debt limit increase. And it is 532 at News Radio 92.3. Good morning. I'm David Wayne. Right now, 62 degrees. It is partly cloudy in Pensacola. Santa Rosa County Sheriff's deputy that served as a school resource officer at the High Road School in Santa Rosa has now been arrested on a charge of lewd and lascivious behavior. The sheriff's office says the case against Deputy David Daniels stems from an alleged incident that occurred in January of 2016. On Monday, the sheriff's office says they were notified of a report that had been made to the Department of Children and Families. The officer, or the deputy rather, was immediately placed on administrative leave and has ultimately been fired now. The sheriff's office says they have no reason to believe any of that misconduct, though, occurred while Daniels was on duty or on the school premises. In the next few weeks, Pensacola International Airport is expected to start on what's likely to be a multi-year modernization and expansion project. Mayor D.C. Reeves says later this month they'll start the process of upgrading their current terminal. When we eventually have this new terminal, which will be such a game changer for us, and knowing that, that we're bursting at the seams out of the airport, uh, what we don't want is, you know, when you go to airports and you see the beautiful new terminal and then, you know, the outdated, unkept old terminal. We don't want to find ourselves in that situation. And last fall, Airport Director Matt Coughlin said they were hoping to complete that design and engineering phase for the new terminal in this coming year and break ground either next year or in 2025. Scambia County no longer accepting applications for the emergency rental assistance program. The the county says that it's due to high volume of applications that were submitted. Funding is no longer available. The application portal opened October 18th of 2021 to low 
low-income county residents and families facing hardship due to COVID. A plan to expand Florida's school voucher system would have an enormous fiscal impact. That's what an opposition group called the Florida Policy Institute says in a new report. The report came out after House lawmakers in Tallahassee proposed allowing more students to take advantage of the Family Empowerment Scholarship Program. The FPI estimates the bill, HB1, would cost the state about $2 billion. Pensacola State College officials raving about the new FPL Innovation Center at the college's Charter Academy. The Innovation Center is funded by a $100,000 donation that Florida Power and Light made a couple years ago, offering students the opportunity to have cutting-edge technology at their fingertips. We have high-end workstations that are available with professional-grade computers. Um, they have graphic and architectural design, um, also have some gaming software. Um, the 3D printers will provide students with a proficiency to create and design um, only things that, that probably you and I could dream of. Dr. Karen McCabe is the Charter Academy's principal. The Academy opened in August with 49 junior and senior high school students. They'll be accepting 10th graders starting in the fall of next year. Let's get a look at our Channel 3 weather forecast. Winds are going to be elevated today after that front move through through the overnight hours. High wind warning in effect as well as a high surf warning as windy conditions will create some high surf across the area beaches. We are going to be seeing temperatures around 65 degrees for your high but dropping through the rest of the day. Overnight tonight temperatures dropping near low 40 degrees. As you go into Thursday sunny skies return with a high near 56 and Thursday night temperatures dropping near 36 degrees. Stay connected to the Channel 3 News First Morning Weather Team. Download the WEAR-TV weather app. This is Brooke Richardson from the First Morning Weather Center. Thank you, Brooke. 62, partly cloudy in Pensacola, 61 in Gulf Breeze, and 64 in Milton. Your next news at 6. Breaking news anytime. I'm David Wayne, News Radio 92.3. Good morning, 539 here on News Radio 92.3. Informative, local, dependable. By the way, um, did we even have storms last night here? I don't even. I, I, I don't know. Nothing. I didn't see it. There was a little bit wet when I woke up. There was a couple of branches around, but certainly Fox News was out when I got here, and Channel well, yeah, Three was I playing. Know, so I know we had sad, we've had yeah. we got satellite issues for sure, um, and I know there was issues elsewhere. I just don't think there was much that happened here. Thank you. And I got to be honest when. When um when I saw the sign was going up, the sailfish sign was going up and turning on yesterday, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that was like, oh, grid, we're a three out of five today. Fantastic. Oh, man. <laughs> God does not want you to see that sign. 70 miles an hour, yeah. so, you know, winds are predicted or whatever. I, I wanted to see it. Now it's in my yard. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I've cool. got my own. Oh, it's like man. right here. McKay's. McKay's. I, I, I'm just like Jim Reeves. I've, I own one. Because um, <laughs> like he bought with the old one for right. the... Anyway, I got it. Uh, sorry, that was a super inside baseball joke. Um, <laughs> let's go to uh, yesterday. We had a chance to talk to Tommy Leiter, the uh, chief deputy at the Scammy County Sheriff's Office, sitting in for uh, Sheriff Simmons yesterday. Hey, Tommy, welcome back to the show, sir. Absolutely. Always good to have you on. Uh, before we get to what I think is a really interesting stuff, some of the recommendations in the transition report, uh, let's talk about some of the uh, incidents that we've had this week. Uh, one of them is kind of shows the value of traffic stops and all of the things that can come as a result of a traffic stop, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just good police work. I think the most effective crime prevention tool out there is an alert deputy, you know, just out there doing his job, beating the bushes, so to speak. And in this case, he uh, saw a suspect that actually he saw the car was unoccupied with the engine running, which, you know, so he circled back around to see what that was going on there. And Nettles is a suspect, got into the car. And uh, when the deputy went to make contact with him, got into a foot chase with him, 
and uh, turned out he had a suspended DL, but more importantly, he was armed. He had a, a firearm in his pocket, had a firearm in the gun, had a cocaine in the vehicle as well. So it's just one of those uh, good police work got him off the street before he could you know, victimize anybody. And, and this, so this is a case where had a record, therefore not supposed to have a gun. Uh, certainly, I assume didn't have a permit anyway, for obvious reasons. Um, but just kind of um, paying attention led to the arrest. And, uh, you know, as you said, taking somebody off the street who's got a past, right? Yeah, charged with possession of firearm by convicted felon, possession of cocaine, resisting an officer. And like I said, there were two guns, and in in one on him actually had it on him. So I'm thankful that it ended the way that it did, and not in a and one of my deputies getting shot at or hurt, shot. And then of course there's another firearm in the vehicle as well. Yeah, you know, to me it's it's a reminder of something that I think sometimes people sanitize in their imagination and don't realize, but um, police officers are getting into fights all the time i mean it's a physical occupation and as a result of that you get sprained thumbs and pulled tendons and broken bones and you know it's a it it is often a physical occupation right it is and you know this deputy was just it was literally just a suspicious vehicle engine was running and less than a minute later he's in a foot chase with an armed suspect who turned out to be a convicted felon with cocaine so it's just how quickly it can turn from right. just you know sitting in your car driving around to actually in, in an incredibly dangerous situation. You know we talk about staffing levels. That's another part of our staffing concerns with not just the vacancies but light duties. We have quite a few deputies on light duty at any given time, and it's you know not just pregnancies and that kind of stuff. It's on duty injuries. It seems like we, we every constantly there's always a deputy or two or a few that are on online duty for injuries received on duty. It's not like you see in the movies. You know, we're not some black belt in karate where you do some super karate chop and everybody falls down. It is very physical. It's ugly. It always looks bad. Um, and we're just people like everybody else. So we get we get injured. Usually that's what happens is a suspect gets injured and a deputy gets injured during a lot of these uh, physical altercations no that's a, i mean that's a great reminder that it, yeah it really is a good reminder we also had a um there's a new relatively new sefco uh at fairfield and pace and there was a guy who got stabbed there last week is that right well we kind of yes we found out after this it didn't happen at the sefco that's where oh, he ended okay. up when they called for help i got gotcha. you so we okay. found out the crime scene was not not far away it was behind i think it was a there's another cash and save or something like that that was close to it and it's a homeless he's homeless stabbed multiple times um there were some other people on scene and intoxicated they didn't see anything all of them were homeless as well the victim is still in the hospital and still unable to talk as of uh, late yesterday, so we still don't have a uh, a good handle on what happened. Okay, and and that that corner, for people who don't know it, that northwest corner used to be a very high vagrancy area. Uh, of course, the you know the the shopping. Well, yeah, used to be and still is. You know, yeah. Um, and then what I think, if I remember correctly, it was across the street at the strip mall that's got the the check cashing place. I think there was a body discovered there a couple of years ago. I mean, just. That area has a history yeah. of, of all this. Am I miss, I'm remembering that right, yeah? You're correct, yep. Pace and Fairfield, right there's a heavily traveled intersection, and it is, um, 
like I said, there's there's homeless camps that are that are around there as well. And and all of that activity doesn't just miraculously go away because you build a shiny new gas station on the corner. <laughs> you know, it's just a, that's just, <laughs> that's not the way people work, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Well, one of the other things um, uh, that I wanted to ask you about is uh, you were one of the authors on the mayor's transition team report, and uh, I guess not officially in your capacity as representing the Scambia County Sheriff's Office, but still, this is a this is an interesting position for you because it's a follow-on to you having been chief of police, of course, for quite some time uh, after sheriff, now sheriff, then police chief Simmons. Uh, and in your recommendations, and I, I have to make fun of you a little bit. You and I are good friends. You, uh, you're, <laughs> so, you, we went to, we were in leap together back in the day. Um, you're supposed to give three recommendations, and you gave three and a bonus. <laughs> and well, one, of the, one of the recommendations was, you know, or a, a observation was the LOST funding is not really sufficient to for a replacement cycle. What I would consider a reasonable replacement cycle, we do all of our rolling stock, all of our equipment, and then you put that out on you you plan that out on a replacement cycle. Right. You know, a cruiser, ideally, you can get 10 years, 100,000 miles, which, you know, if you have a private vehicle, that may not be that much, but we're talking about police cruisers that are heavily used, and you're talking about high-speed pursuits, so you got to have the brakes, you got to have the tires, you got to have, you know, the handling. So they, they, there's quite a bit of wear and tear on a police car, and and that LOST dollars aren't really sufficient for a 10-year replacement. There are cruisers out there with 120, 130, 140,000 miles on them and with, without you know, this replacement cycle. So that lent itself to, when I was the chief, I was asking for, for red light cameras. I keep saying it's the biggest threat to public safety in the city is traffic. It's just the sheer number of people that are in and out of the city, which is a great thing for, you know, for the city because the secret's out. But from a law enforcement perspective, it really is a challenge to police that. About the transition report for uh, Mayor D.C. Reeves. And uh, before I let you continue on the red light cameras, I will soapbox for a second on you mentioned local option sales tax is not adequate to cover the full replacement cycle for the police cruisers. And I agree with you, but I will say. Um, that should be general fund revenue. That is basic operations of the police force. LOST is supposed to always be extra stuff, stuff we couldn't otherwise get through ad valorem taxation. And so I don't think it should be coming, even though it's lawful to use it that way, it shouldn't come from there. You should be above and beyond things with LOST. But that's a philosophical conversation. And I know it's not your baby anyway. But um, back to the uh, the red light cameras. You and I have talked about this a bunch. And the as you've said many times, the, um, the most preventable form of danger to property and people is getting people to drive safely but as you were just getting ready to say the danger intersections are unpoliceable right yeah so in order to to write a traffic citation at an intersection for a red light you have to be able to you have to be parked in a position where you can see the red light you have to see the stop line or the intersection so you can witness the car you got to be across the line before the light turns Red. So you got to be able to witness the violation, and then you have to be able to get out into heavy traffic to stop the car and then either issue a warning or issue a traffic citation. And there are intersections that are designed that makes that impossible. It is nearly impossible to initiate change at some of our highest, biggest threats to public safety, these high-crash intersections. Just the top three, there's a crash at one of those intersections every three days, like clockwork. In the, in the next three days, we're going to have another crash, and three days after that, and it's frustrating as a 
chief has somebody responsible for public safety that you really can't initiate change. And, and just, just, to put a, just to put a picture on that for people, the, the one that you constantly remind people of is at uh, 9th and, um, uh, and Brent, right? That's a great example. And, yeah, so there's 9th and Bio, 9th and Airport, Fairfield and Davis are the top three. Okay. Davis and Fairfield, big intersection. Ninth and Bio is, is a major one, and then Ninth and Airport. And if you look at get a visual on that, where is a police officer going to be able to park where he can witness the intersection and witness the the violation, and then be able to get out into traffic and stop a vehicle safely and, and initiate change, have that conversation. And um, you just cross the bridge in the Gulf Breeze, and there's red light cameras there. So... And I go to New Orleans quite a bit, and when I drive through Gulf Breeze, I just went there with my wife this weekend, and when I was driving through, I had my maps on in my car, and it alerts you, red light camera ahead. Mm-hmm. In New Orleans, it'll say speed camera ahead, and it'll force you to slow down. And there's a lot of evidence to prove that red light cameras work in reducing traffic crashes, reducing crashes with intersections, the most dangerous. And the way it works, it's not an automatic, it doesn't just automatically mail you a ticket. What it does is... The software program will alert. You have to have a police officer, so it will alert the Pensacola Police Department. They would have an officer actually review the violation because it's all recorded. And then the officer will use his discretion to make a decision whether or not to issue a traffic citation based on what they're witnessing. So if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you pull up at a stale red light, and I'm not saying this is okay, but, you know, you can see in all directions. Maybe you're going to the hospital or something like that. And you go ahead and you come to a complete stop. There's no traffic. It's four in the morning or whatever. And then you bust it. The intersection or the officer can make a decision whether or not to issue that traffic citation. It's not this AI computer that can make that decision. <laughs> yeah. So they'll send out a, you know, the traffic citation and it's not reported to your insurance. It's not reported to your driver's license. So you don't get the hit on your, on your um, driver's license, your points. And you can decide whether or not to pay it or not. And if you say, hey, either I wasn't driving, there's a pretty good cameras on that, or um, I don't think I deserve a traffic citation, then you can always contest it that way. So it's there's a lot of safeguards built into the state law and the program. It's functional in Gulf Breeze. It's functional throughout the state and other cities throughout the state. I think that the city would benefit. It would be in the best interest of public safety to and, put red light cameras at those intersections. And, you know, I've lived in a lot of places where I've had these, let alone Gulf Breeze, obviously. And, you know, I don't I don't find them problematic in any way. And the key thing that I think that people might not hear in what you're saying is you're not you're talking about giving police the opportunity to actually police the most dangerous intersections that are structurally impossible to police right now. So if you want to cut down on the every third day accident at those three top locations, this is the way to do it because the alternative is just how hum we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And, you know, and I, I, I appreciate exactly. I appreciate that philosophy. Uh, Tommy Leiter, he is the chief deputy at the Escambia County Sheriff's Office, and he was on the mayor's transition team writing the report. Uh, Tommy, as always, good to talk to you, sir. Uh, great to hear from you. Tell your wife I said hi, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. As always, I appreciate you, Andrew. Oh, did you not leave the candy part in there? No, I, I took Aww. it out. I know. I was like, tell Lisa I said hi, too. He and he's like, buy candy, candy right you. at the end. I was <laughs> I waiting for that part. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to make it professional. <laughs> which Since is when? super rare. Well, I know. How would that fit us? I was oh, worried come about on. the storm yesterday. I was a different person then. <laughs>
<laughs> Younger and full of hope. 52 on News Radio 92.3. Uh, if you're thinking about getting that next vehicle, I strongly recommend Frontier Motors. Look, uh, you hear me talking about them, Dave Ramsey talking about them. There's all kinds of reasons why. Here, here's one. Okay, just one reason. When you go and you decide to look at the actual price of a car and, you know, you sit down and you look at the sheet, what you'll get is an all the lines. Like, it'll tell you, the, you know, the price of the car and the tax and the title and the tags and everything. And then at the very bottom of the page, it says total. That's the only number you ever talk about, because once you figure out that number, there's nothing else. There's no changes after that. So it's bottom line, out the door pricing. You know, what's going to be on the check, right, or the loan? Um, so that's very simple. But attached to that piece of paper is going to be a Carfax. And if you don't know, Carfax is just the uh, repair and maintenance history of the car to the degree that the people doing the repairs report it to Carfax, okay? That's how that system works, which means there might be things that are done that were not reported. So a Carfax is a good start, but it's not the end-all be-all. I still recommend if you're buying a used car, you know, for like from a person or something, if you do, uh, get a good used vehicle inspection from a mechanic you trust. Trust me, this is a good thing to do. Anyway, uh, if you're not buying a car from Frontier, like you're buying it from, you know, Jimmy's Corner Lot or whatever, uh, no offense, Jimmy, but uh, if you're buying it from Jimmy's Corner Lot, if they don't give you a Carfax, it's fine. Just call Frontier and they'll give you a Carfax to buy a car from Jimmy. You're like, why, why, why would Frontier help me buy a car from Jimmy? To make sure you're getting a better car. Like, just in case something shows up that makes you decide, oh, this, because why? Because they can. They're, it's helpful and they can. It's that simple. That's their philosophy. So why has Frontier Motors been serving the Pensacola community for more than 25 years? Because they do stuff like that. Be sure to tell them Andrew McKay says hi. Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This... This is history. David Wayne is laughing in jealousy at our smooth moves over here as we're dancing to the Culture Club. Is that right, David? (laughs) You can. You can. You can definitely have that kind of fun. Behind the plexiglass. We should move it yeah. in here, just like in the movie. David should be in. We should all be in one room together, um, just like the, the the fake version of NPR they have on Parks and Rec. That's right. <laughs> and then Absolutely. and then David Wayne can be filling in for Andrew McKay, who's filling in for Candy Cullerton, who's on vacation in New York, filling in for David Wayne. See? <laughs> just like in the movies. All right. Since we're already talking to you, David, on the other side of the plexiglass, um, or the real glass, I don't know what that is. But anyway, what's going on in the newsroom this morning? We, we don't mention either that he played for the Reds of the Phillies. We talk about him as a Cardinal. And have you, are you a baseball fan, David? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Rowland is the best third baseman I've ever watched in my life. Oh. I, you, he, he's, and it's easier just to put stats on hitting, okay? And he was a very good hitter, especially when he played for us in the World Championship year. But he was, you, you could go to a game just to watch him field at third base. It was unbelievable. Crazy. I've never seen anything like it. So, well done. Well earned. 